the difference between Tenisero's book and Goenka? Sure. I found some similarities, though. Uh, in the stages of of the meditation in Tanisaru's book, I think first is um, finding a comfortable breath, then uh, staying with the breath, then uh, it's focusing on a point, right? Is that the, the third step? No, not at all. The, this focusing on one-pointedness actually is a much uh, later practice that is no, I, actually more of a toy to play with, yes. That in fact, like, there is no place in the, and there's no place in the suttas where the nose tip or the nose is in fact ever mentioned. But it's in the book, that though. The, oh, yeah, it's in the book. It's in a lot of books. Okay, so you don't agree. Uh, you don't practice uh, personally as it's stated in that book. In uh, Achantanisaro's book, I don't know. I haven't read it. Oh, um, do you mind if, if I go get it? I think it's nearby here. No, you don't need to do that. <clears throat> No, we got better things to do than read books. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, that leads me to an important question, which is how do you practice? Like, do you have steps to, or is it just uh, <clears throat> like fully with the breath uh, and guiding it towards uh, parts of the body and relaxing even every time? All right, let's, let's react, re, re, um, state that question into okay. uh, the question of what practice did the Buddha teach? What was the way that, that uh, the Buddha taught Anapanasati? That would be a better question. Or exactly another question related to that was, how did the various teachings of the Buddha fit in with Anapanasati? Mm -hmm. So that we can come up with a way of practice that's actually practicing the Eightfold Noble Path. Another way of thinking of it is, is that Anapanasati is the application of the Eightfold Noble Path. Most specifically, mm -hmm. right view, right sati, right effort, and right sankapa, or attitude. Okay, so anapanasati is to be practiced through the Eightfold Noble Path, and, the, and one of the key ingredients is right effort. But in fact, that, that's the key that most people miss. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of translation errors that cause people to miss, but one of the really main issues is that they misunderstand right effort. And so I will describe to you an easy way to understand right effort, and that is, is to um, 
do the least amount of work possible to actually get the job done. That's I like that very much. Right effort <laughs> to do the least amount of work possible to actually get the job done. Yeah, that... and that most people work either too much or too little. And if they're working too little, they'll they can call it choiceless awareness. Yeah. And if they're working too hard, then they can call it deep meditation. Mm -hmm. And that uh, these are the two extremes that are mostly practiced in um, Western culture. That in fact, this is uh, the whole way that it's practiced in the Western culture comes out of a practice that was developed for the military government of Burma back in the 1950s. And that's the 10 day meditation retreat that Goenka got into, made very famous. Then the Mahasi started to, uh, to follow that method too. And pretty soon that whole idea of a 10 day retreat with variations on the number of days came into being in the West as almost an appendage of Buddhism. And yet it was only invented in the 1950s. And they claim that it was older though, right? Well, maybe some features of it, but we're talking about um, the actual thing that, you, that Western people see when they think of meditation. Yeah, and the, meditation halls and all of that. But in the suttas, the Buddha says, go to the forest or to the foot of a tree or to an empty hut. He didn't say to go to a meditation hall with 50 or 60 or 100 or 500 other people. But go to an empty forest instead to go into real seclusion. So that's one of the differences right there. Another yeah. difference is, is that normally the, the Dhamma is taught one-on-one, -on -one, like we're having this conversation now, and it was never, it was, um, let us say there have been public talks for forever. The Buddha also spoke publicly. Mm -hmm. But much of the actual work is done in private. And if one does retreats and all one ever has is a contact with the teachers when the teacher's up on the stage, up on the dais or platform or whatever you want to call it, and you don't have an actual personal relationship with the teacher, then that's what you wind up with Western Buddhism, especially if the teacher is expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. This is the uh, the part that uh, has Western Buddhism more Western than Buddhism, because mm -hmm. in fact the the, uh, the ten day retreats are often set up like a first first grade classroom. <laughs> yeah, but a PhD research project is not set up in rows of chairs. And neither are Watts. 
Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've never seen monks sit in a row when they, uh, whenever they're sitting uh, around in, in one of the boards or most of them are sitting against the wall. Leaving space in the middle for things to happen. <clears throat> OK, so there's a lot of Westernism built into what you see in the, the actual teachings of the Buddha, but you can also say that yes, there is some Buddhism in there someplace. Mm-hmm. All right, but only some that some of the major ingredients have been missing. One of the examples of it is right effort. Yeah. Is, is that you have to put some skin in the game. In fact, the joke is, is that how much skin do you have to put in the game? All of it, the whole body. The whole body has to get into the practice. You have to wake up the whole body. You have to take control of the body. You have to start noticing what the hands are doing. You have to notice what expressions you have on your face. You have to notice your posture because you can notice your posture. You have to know when you're smiling and when you're not smiling. You have to start paying attention to what's happening. So you try to maintain a, a full body awareness. At all times? No, not all the time. All the time is a Western concept. Right now. <laughs> Just right now, right. Whenever you remember to. When sati is there and the skill of watching what's going on is developing. You start paying attention to what's happening with the body. Start paying. In fact, a way of looking at it is, is that uh, in within the teachings of the Buddha, there are six senses. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and the mind. And that most of us Westerners spend almost all of our time in the mind and the input to the mind is its own memory systems. And we spend very little time in real senses, and the real senses is what contacts and has input from reality of this present moment. So a lot of the teaching of the Buddha has to do with be here now, which means be in our senses and pay attention to what's happening with the senses right here, right now, rather than making up stories about right here, right now with the mind. Yeah, that's a bit tricky for me. Um, it's tricky for everybody. It's not just yeah. tricky, it's a bad habit. <laughs> yeah, but a specific example is um, in the book I mentioned to you um, by Ajahn, Ajahn Tanisaro. Uh, he mentions ardency, and I relate that uh, very much to uh, the right effort. But he puts it as a part of the three elements of concentration. Ardency um alertness and mindfulness and he defines ardency you're you're using the word artistry no ardency like ardent a r d e n c y all right let's change that from the um connotation that that has word puts into it and use eager or enthusiastic yeah. instead mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. Uh, enthusiasm and what are the other two uh alertness 
and mindfulness. What's the difference between alertness and mindfulness? As he defines those terms in the book, alertness is the the body awareness. Like what you said, knowing what's happening in the body in the present moment. What, what sensations are you feeling? What, what's happening? And mindfulness is the ability to stay with that intention. All right. So basically what he's actually talking about then in the language that you've given here, so the way that you're talking about it is uh, right view and right sati, which are actual factors on the path. And right view and right sati, sati means to wake up and right view is and to see what's going on. For instance, the example would be to wake up and smell the coffee. All right. Mm -hmm. So this is perhaps what you're talking about, right view and right sati. And then the ardency would be the right attitude, which would be sama sankapa. And so where's the fourth item, which is one's right effort. Because right effort and right sati and right uh, um, uh, uh, view run and circle around each other. And then when you get those going as a skill, you develop also sama sankapa, which is in fact the ardency or <clears throat> a better word is enthusiasm. And even a better word would be right attitude, the attitude of a winner, the attitude of can do this. And as that develops, it develops into the point of no matter what hindrances come into the mind, those can be cleaned out and I can come back to this present moment to see how things are right here, right now. Can see the truth of the of the moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. This actually is a quotation out of a sutta. And the next statement of it is, is that this first knowledge that one can, in fact, clean out the mind and come back to this present moment is the first step of the path. And it is super mundane. It is a factor of the path. It is noble. And it is not held by ordinary people. Ordinary people do not know that they can, in fact, clean out their mind. And even if they know that they can, they don't trust that they can do it just when they need to do it the most. So the first step of Sotapan, the first step on the path is the knowledge that no matter how much my mind gets messed up, I can turn that stuff around immediately, throw that stuff out, come out of the mental states into the senses receive new data, be here in the present moment, and feel the way that I want to feel. Which means that now I have control over the way I feel, I have control over the breathing, I have control over the mind. That I am not driven by my own thoughts and my own belief systems. These are the four first items on the Eightfold and Noble Path. And that leads to unification of mind. Sama area samati. When the mind is unified and organized, 
which means that all the cylinders are firing in the same direction, I suppose, would be the way to say it. Only then, when we are organized and the mind is unified, is the mind then free from all desires and wants. And if you are, in fact, satisfied in the moment and free from desire, then you don't want anything. And if you don't want anything, you're unlikely to hurt someone, to steal it, uh, to lie about it, or to break any of the precepts. The precepts are just naturally done when the mind is noble. So that's the Eightfold Noble Path for you. And so that ardency or that right view, or excuse me, that right attitude, that can-do attitude is a major aspect of the Eightfold Noble Path, but one will not develop that without also the right effort to put into it. And if they don't put in the right effort, that means they also don't develop sati to the point of remembering it often enough for it to be of any real value. It just happens occasionally, like when somebody goes to the meditation hall and the whole rest of the day, all 23 hours of hindrances. What good is that kind of meditation? So Anapanasati is actually is to be done whenever you remember to do it. And part and part of what we're the skill that we're developing is to remember to do it. This is why we want to start putting sati foremost in the sense of everything we do. The way that the Anapanasati Sutta is actually stated is over and over and over and over again is sati. You see that mindfully one breathes in and mindfully one breathes out, which means you've got to do this with sati, but it's a deep in breath, mindfully breathing in deep and mindfully breathing out deep. Now, what that means is deep and uh, is kind of like um, uh, slowing it down and getting more air in, but only a little bit more air, a comfortable amount, that this is not a, um, a contest of empty and full. This is a concept of a long, deep, easy, relaxed breath that energizes the body and purifies the blood because it throws out the carbon dioxide, which then gives uh, reason for more carbon dioxide to come into existence because the frontal cortex is working better now. And so that breathing actually is a major part of the teaching of the Buddha. And they're only now beginning to understand that, but most of the breathing research that's done doesn't have the second part of it there. They're only working with the breathing without working with the mind. But in fact, you cannot learn to control the breathing if you can't learn to control the mind. So they kind of go have hand in hand. And so that's why one's right effort is also to have wholesome thoughts, to put wholesome thoughts in the mind and to remove unwholesome thoughts and kick them out immediately. That Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, which is the full-blown teaching of the Buddha, that's all he teaches is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. The way that it's practiced in the West, though, is Dukkha Dukkha Dukkha. Let me see some of that Dukkha. I got to inspect that Dukkha. I'm going to go really deep in it. I'm going to understand that Dukkha completely. And maybe someday I'll have some Dukkha Naroda. But that's not the teaching of the Buddha. The teaching of the Buddha is Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda right now in this present moment. Throw that stuff out. 
throw out that ignorance and that wanting and that uh, wanting to get rid of that free their will and delusion is the cause of our unsatisfactoriness. So practicing becoming satisfied is actually going into the third noble truth, which is freedom from dukkha, which means now we don't want anything. We're satisfied. Right now it's good enough. And so when we talk about bringing in joy, somebody will say, yeah, I've got joy, but I want more. It's not good enough joy. I should have great big joy, and I only have a little joy for me. <laughs> well, what that means is, is that they're actually developing being dissatisfied with even joy. Yeah. Instead of having some joy and being satisfied that they've got a little. And then we begin to develop the skill of being joyful and develop the skill of being satisfied. Question there. Um, do you, would you recommend to every, each person, to every person who had the possibility to follow uh, the, like this method? Or do you think that it's, Like not for Guess everyone. What? I probably will never talk to everyone. I certainly will not talk to each and every person. Yeah, but what we I, can what go, I was... we can get down to how about the people who call on Skype? Yeah, but specifically, you uh, see, one of them I... is grandiose. The everybody's in your mind is just a concept. Oh yeah, but I have a, a specific. Um, like aspect I want to, I want you to answer, like the seclusion and training of the mind versus following mm, goals that aren't meant to bring joy, but like people that feel that they're destined to do something or that, yeah, something that that's like involved with the world and not directly working with the mind. Destiny yeah, it's can be like... looked at in two ways. <laughs> yeah. One of them is, is we can see destiny as a habit pattern of the mind. Mm -hmm. In the sense that if you look at the way that a gun is pointed, you can pretty much determine which direction the bullet's going to go if it's fired. Right? You could pretty much, in other words, if the gun is waving around towards your knees back and forth, you don't like that so much because if that gun goes off, you might lose a knee, right? So you begin to pay attention to guns in the way that they're, uh, which direction they're pointed. This yeah. is a, this is an important point. Okay, so um, the way things are headed then becomes. Uh, a way of looking, that we start looking at things and see which directions they're going so that we can uh, recognize that this pathway that we've been on, this, this uh, set of actions that we've set in motion that have to do with um, uh, initiation and response followed by another, and we get into this Thing that builds momentum and so one kind of goes 
An example of that is he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. That's an, uh, an understanding of destiny. Which way are things headed? And mm -hmm. we can see it that it, the, reg the reason that things are headed in that direction is because that's the direction that they have been headed. And the more than likely they're going to continue to head in that direction unless something changes. Now, there's a whole new way of looking at that for this moment, and that is, is that we can see that this destiny is also another way of thinking that it, in short terms, it's being driven. That we feel driven. An example of that is the guy who is a big, big fan of sport team A happens to be standing on a street corner where two guys are discussing the wonders and marvels of Team B, and he's right there with them, and he feels driven and compelled to start arguing with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's another way of looking. It. Pardon? Because he feels strongly about it. Because he feels strongly about it, all right? So he feels driven or he feels strongly about it, and yet he is not in uh, control of those feelings at all. Those feelings came out of his past. If he were in this present moment, he could easily recognize whatever those guys are doing is their business, is not my business. Yeah. And he might have saved himself a bloody nose. Just by waking up to recognize this is not my business. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's an example of driven uh, by uh, this destiny. And it's kind of also an example of living out in our past and continuing to go that way. So this is what Sati and right effort and the uh, right view leading to a change of attitude is what the Buddhist teaching is all about, which basically means that you can change. A big issue in the time of the Buddha and a big issue now within Christianity is, is that you can't change. In fact, Christianity is absolutely built on all have sinned and come short of the glory of God who are you to think that you're good? Only God is good. You can't save yourself because you've got original sin and you need our magic pill to save you. What's our magic? He's got Jesus written on his magic pill. Right? That's the way that it's taught. It's taught that you cannot change, which means that you cannot resist this old nature that you've built up from childhood. And the Buddha says, yes, you can change, that you are not fixed, that you are not ground in. This is where the whole idea of anatta comes from, that the idea in the old days of the Buddha was that there was something, a self, that was actually more like a soul in Christianity, something that is so strong and so permanent and so fixed that it'll even survive death. But it's also nothing but a football. And God's going to kick you in any direction that he wants to. And uh, their story is, is that not only will he kick you into heaven or hell after you're dead, but he does that now and you just don't know it. This is the Christian story. 
is that you are a permanent being that is uh, subject to the will of God and that you don't have any choice in it. Yeah. This is their teaching. The Buddha says, oh, no, you've got plenty of choice. You've got plenty mm -hmm. of choice. <laughs> yeah. Because why? Because you are not that kind of soul. You are not that kind of self. And when we recognize that, that means that now we not only can be free from the self, we can be free from all the confines of that self. Which is basically the first and the second fetter. The first fetter is personality view. And the personality view that we all have to get over is, is that I cannot change my own mind. That is hard to do. Okay. The answer to that is, well, it doesn't take long to change it right now. Just try it right now. Just do it right mm -hmm. now. Never mind about the future. Just can we do it right now? Can we change our mind from being a Brady uh, a cat or a pity party or a uh, ain't it awful or I'm going to beat the hell out of you kind of attitude into, hey, man, everything's cool. That's all we have to do is begin to change our attitude and change our thoughts and to be cool. But gosh, we have to remember doing it so often because we have already started bending in a certain direction, which was the direction that we were bent by society when we were little kids. That, our, that humans are uh, um, controlled by our society. The society would even say that the kid would become a barbarian if we don't train him. You got to train up a child in the way he should go so when he is old, he'll kiss your ass. That's in the Bible, but I changed the line. <laughs> Guide the, the child in this way so that when he's older, he won't steer away from it. Yeah, we have to learn to bend to authority when we're children, because when we're adults, we won't do it. In fact, the last time that it can be done is when they take young men into the military. They do not want 35 year old men in the military. Because when the when the a drill sergeant says, attention, the 35-year-old is going to be the last one to stand up. Mm -hmm. yeah. They certainly don't want 70-year-olds in their military because the 70-year-old's not even going to bother to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> no, they want them yeah. to be 18 so that they can make put the, the fear of uh, doing it our way into them. So Were you ever in the military? Oh, yes. U.S. Navy. Wow. Oh, I know about that. Not long enough or too long. <laughs> I was in a U.S. Uh, military medical ship once. They came here. Yeah, Part it was. Uh, um, some years ago, uh, a U.S. A uh, military ship that was providing medical aid came to the Caribbean coast here. And that was my only experience with uh, military people. But it was weird. Like seeing them stick to, to such a strict regime and like, and also seeing how similar it was to how they depicted the stereotypical uh, 
people uh, in the movies. But yeah, it's a hard life, definitely. Well, uh, it's very characteristic, though, that that's what our society does for us in microcosm. So that we get in line and we start marching according to the educational system. We start marching towards the way that big business is guiding us. An example of that is the uh, iPhone, Apple. Mm -hmm. But 40, yeah. 50 years ago, it was the Mustang and the hot rod. All right, so consumer goods and consumer products drives uh, our desires. In fact, I talk about it in the sense of the GREB, G-R-E-B. We have big government, big religion, big education, and big business. And they're all telling you the same thing that, that the Christians tell you. And that is, you need our help. You can't do it without us. You're not good enough to do it on your own. The business then adds the line, uh, you need our product. Yeah. And the education says, you need our knowledge. And the uh, government says, uh, you need us to fix all of your business problems. And the religion says, <laughs> Well, you know what they say. They say, we own you already anyway. Yeah. Mm. They have us threatened with hell. Hostage. And so all of them operate on fear. Yeah. Well, we have built a society that's quite safe. I mean, if you think about it, 600,000 years ago, life was pretty tough. Lots of dangers. Too many alligators, too many lions, not enough elephant guns, <clears throat> all yeah. kinds of problems. And so it, it, fear is, a, is an emotion that actually uh, predates even mammals, that in fact we can even see evidence of, of fish schooling that gives rise to wildebeest and zebras herding together. And that gives rise to humans wanting to have a nest, wanting to have society to go yeah, along to get along. The, the herding instinct. Yes, that we are in fact being herded around because we're too stupid to wake up to the fact that we are being herded around. And when we recognize it, we can put a stop to it. We can see that danger. But until we do, we're satisfied in a way. Uh, we get some sort of reward for going along uh, to get along. And that is that going along to get along at least keeps us safe for the moment. Because if we don't go along to get along, we might get eaten by the bears. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's it's uh, very, very little relief, but we're willing to take it and also have to suffer the dangers from it. And so much of the teaching of the Buddha is to wake up to the dangers that we normally see gratification in, especially the kind of thoughts that we have. 
so that if we see that there is danger in that kind of thinking, then we can put that thought down and start thinking thoughts that have no danger built in them at all. Like? Pardon? Like uh, the breath, or do you mean... Oh, yeah, I had a, a question a while ago about the, um, the, how do you say, the um, positive thinking. I don't know, I don't remember the term you used. Uh, but I've tried, like, the other way around to, like, in a scientific way to prove by the country. Like, I started thinking uh, a lot of neg negative things, and I see how that, and, and I saw how that affected my, uh, my demeanor, my, my, my state of, my emotional state in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it was, like, it were, like, very tacky, corny thoughts, and I was wondering if, that works like on the opposite if corny thought corny positive thoughts work well too or do you have like um any recommendations on how to uh shape that positive thinking well first off let's determine a bit about the distinction between positive thinking and wholesome thoughts oh yeah wholesome thoughts sorry Okay, when we use the term power of positive thinking, normally what that refers to is affirmations or hoping or pretending or thinking that if I think about it, I'll get what I'm thinking about. The power of attractions or whatever like that. So you have the teenage girl that's standing in front of the mirror telling herself how beautiful she is with these powerful positive thoughts. Mm -hmm. But she really doesn't believe it deep inside anyway. And so when she goes out to school, any little thing that's said and she feels terrible. If she actually thought she was beautiful, then those kind of thought, uh, words wouldn't harm her at all. And so the distinction between uh, positive thoughts are often that they're not real, that they're really at just affirmations that really deep inside that we don't believe it that really what we're looking for then would be wholesome thoughts that would always be true in this moment. An example of that is this breath is life-giving. Hmm. Another one would be this breath actually is delicious. It's a relief. If you don't believe that, then stop breathing for five or ten minutes. And then see what like that first next breath is going to be like. You'll really like it. Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've tried that, but like after sometimes you get sort of tired, or the mind gets the monkey mind gets bored, and uh, that wholesome thought like starts to lose effectiveness. You know. Well, that's to be expected. That's because of the habits that you've already built up of unwholesome thoughts over and over and over again. That the easy way to say it is, look, you have been spending your whole life talking yourself into feeling bad. Now it's time to start talking yourself into feeling good. And pretty soon or someday, that's all you'll have to say. But right mm -hmm. now, you're still telling yourself a lot of trash at least now start to put some good stuff in there. Yeah, you always mention that example, like do the 
wholesome thoughts limit themselves to to that to the breath or do you have any other pointers oh, no. any thought that has to do with the reality of the situation which is all of your senses okay that in fact right. you really do appreciate your sight if you don't believe me go around for a day or two completely blindfolded intentionally so that you cannot see anything Mm -hmm. Boy, will that wake up the other senses that blind people are known to have extraordinary senses of uh, uh, sur their surroundings and, and sounds and things like this, that they're paying attention to stuff that most people don't pay attention to at all. So that's one of the practices is to go around bare blindfold because mm -hmm. it wakes you up. You Another mean, one you, is to go around you, barefooted because then you have to watch where you're stepping. You have to notice what's going on. Yeah. Have you made that part of your practice? Pardon? Over the have years, you, sure, I've done all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool. I'll try that then. Uh, so you could, another way to say it is apart from uh thoughts about the breath then another category you could say is aff affirmations you do believe in like the girl won't say yeah i'm beautiful and then crumble but she might say why do you want to be beautiful what good is that oh you know desires and such right that's a desire so i am beautiful that's an affirmation you really don't believe it you're as ugly as you know you are yeah and it doesn't matter oh yeah then in fact the, the 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 funny part is is that i don't have to look at me everybody else has to put up with how ugly i am but i don't even have to look at it <laughs> i haven't been in front of a mirror in a long time wow. <laughs> was it was it like a conscious decision i won't face mirrors Actually, yes, but it happened before I was uh, a monk, but that's actually part of the, uh, the the stuff that monks are not allowed. And I think partially really? that had to do not with the fact that it's a looking glass or a, or a mirror, but that it was almost in those days had to be made out of metal, mm -hmm. which was almost always precious. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in, in those days, a looking glass was uh, valuable, which meant that it could be stolen, which then meant the monk uh, would have felt, felt a sense of loss and maybe blame somebody else. And so the best thing to do is let's not have any of those kind of things around. But it wound up being part of the tradition that monks don't need. And guess what? You don't need a mirror. Yeah. The only the only reason you should have a mirror is to go find fault with yourself so that you'll go buy something. So the stores are the ones who want you to have mirrors in your house. If you don't have any mirrors, you probably don't go to the store because you don't care. Yeah. Mm. Beauty is also yeah, in the eye of the beholder. And often the beauty is not the object 
very rarely do we ever practice what you see is what you get. Generally, what happens is the guy will go into the 7-Eleven or whatever, and he's got a drop-dead gorgeous babe right there behind the counter. And when he leaves the store, he's thinking about her. But guess what? He's not thinking about her. He's thinking about the mental image that he constructed about her. And the mental image that he constructed about her fails to mention some of the reality of the situation, that she's got two ex-husbands, she's got three kids at home, She's got a mother who hates any man who comes within an inch of her. And both of the ex-husbands hate each other and are out to kill each other. Okay, But when you see her on the street, you don't see any of that kind of stuff. There's realities, that, but we don't put that into our imagination. So, it, in yep. fact, all we have inside the mind is just a fantasy. But now... Guess what? We want our fantasy. So if we go back to see the girl thinking that this girl is my fantasy girl, no, the fantasy is in the mind. This girl is a real person. <laughs> but they have like a strong pull, these fantasies. Right. So we fantasize and we create and, and mentalize what we want, and then reality doesn't meet up to it. Yeah. So the way to start to practice Anapanasati with this eightfold noble path is to wake up, to look at the thought, to take a deep breath, and to recognize I don't have to think about that, whatever it was. I can think of something better than that to do. Like sit here and just look out and gaze upon the beautiful whatever those things are out there in good bushes or something. Uh, actually, they're ferns, ancient, ancient ferns. Big ones. Big, big ferns, right. 30 feet nice. at least. So anyway, that's all conjecture. The reality is, is that it's a visual image. It's quite pleasant. So just being in the here now is also safe. My thoughts are dangerous. I can find all kinds of work to do. I can find all kinds of things that are unfinished that need this. This world is in great need of all kinds of things. You don't believe me? Watch CNN or Fox or something. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But this present moment is just pleasant. It's just so nice just to be here now. Wherever you are and whatever posture you are in, right now is good enough. And that's the practice of Anapanasati, literally talking ourselves into being satisfied, talking ourselves into being safe, comfortable, content, secure. And the cream of it is satisfied. This is good enough. I don't want anything. That state of satisfaction is, in fact, just the opposite of dukkha. It's that language in the Pali. It's that language in the Thai and in Gujarati. In the Pali, dukkha and sukha are opposites. In Thai, dukkha and sukha are opposites. In Gujarati, dukkha and sukhi are opposites. I've never heard of that language. Pardon? I had never Pardon? heard of that language. No, uh, Gujarati. 
It's in India. It's in India. It's in north, 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 west India in in the Gujarat. It's an Indo-European language, to where Thai borrowed the words out of Buddhism. So, this opposite of dukkha, if the all the teachings of the Buddha are about how coming out of dukkha into sukha means that coming out of our dissatisfaction state and become satisfied, content, comfortable with the feeling of security that only mastery will bring. And so we have to master the mind. Take control of the mind, take control of the breathing, take control of the way that we feel. And by doing so, we're on top of the world. That's what super mundane means, is being on top of the world. You're an emperor of your own pile of dirt. Are you going to be in the buried under your pile of dirt or sitting on top? Sitting on yeah. top of the world sounds like the right way to be. Just don't yeah. care about it. Just let it okay. go. And we can do that any time that we can remember to do it. You can feel right now the way that you feel. You can remember this and you can feel this way any time that you want to. Satisfied and content. And if you practice that enough over and over again, we begin to add that fourth ingredient, sama sankapa, which is the right attitude of I can do this any time. That's also the association with the pity, that yeehaw or that uh, that exhilaration of the knowledge that I can I've won. Because I know that I can win any time that I want. Any time that I want to win over Dukkha, I can win over Dukkha. And so we get that feeling of uh, power. The Buddha called himself a lion any minute. That lion is that attitude. But that attitude comes with mastery. And so that building up of the skills brings on that feeling of can do. It's a can do attitude. We come out of the victim's position into the winner's position. One example is uh, it's kind of a joke. You hear this often, but you've probably heard this. Hold my beer. You know yeah. what that means? It means you yeah, hold a, this beer because I've got business and I'm going to win this business. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the champion here. That's the kind of attitude that we're looking for, is the attitude of I can do this. Hold my sati. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or as they would do it in the, um, the com comedy um, uh, westerns or, or uh, war movies, We'd uh, give me that. Uh, give me a swig of that sake. And, oh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sati, that's yeah. the key to wake up any time and to recognize that you're okay. That this breath is keeping you alive, and you're sitting here and happy, not fat, dumb, or happy. Just happy. Yeah, wisely happy. Right now, I can't manage happy, but right now I can manage like being at least up to the head in my in my garbage, like stick out the head. 
<laughs> is that satisfying? Yeah, it is. Okay, uh, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> Become satisfied yeah. with what you've got right now. That's the skill to be developed. Uh, clear example. Guy wants to learn to play the piano. He buys the piano, goes to the store, he buys all kinds of music books, simple ones and hard ones. He takes a lesson from a piano teacher and goes back to the piano teacher the second lesson. But in between there, he doesn't practice the piano at all. He really wants to learn to play the piano, but he's not practicing the piano. Let's say he's practicing the flute or the violin or the guitar or maybe something not at all musical. Will he learn to play the piano that way? Some people How are gets... you going to learn to play satisfaction if you don't practice satisfaction? If you're going to learn to play the piano, you got to play the piano. Some people get struck in the head and they learn spontaneously to play instruments. Uh, after some practice. <laughs> I, have to, I have to research, to study the data. Pardon? No, but I, no, it's just that I heard um, some a while ago that there were uh, registered cases from people that, that get head, head concussions and spontaneously learn abilities. But it, it was just like a passing thing to mention. All but right, I, did I the tell example. you what, give me your address and I'll mail you a hammer and you don't have to call me anymore. <laughs> it was a joke. I know. I won't give you. Ah, okay, right. <laughs> yes, Getting... that's the whole point that um excuse me. Yep. Getting uh pretty late here. I think I, I have to to leave soon. All right. Uh well, we haven't really gotten into much of the detail of the practice yet, so I know. Uh, we can finish that at a later time. Yeah, when, I just when wanted to call to back again. Uh, maybe on Monday or Tuesday. Monday. Okay. All right, that'll be fine. Yeah, I, 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 um, I just had the time until now, but I wanted to take the opportunity you know, just to start the conversation. Yeah, and I appreciate uh yeah you you sharing the time well i've enjoyed it it's been fun me too all right Have well we'll day. see you later